Man, you're getting killed out there. Tell me about it. I feel like Rocky after 15 rounds with Apollo Creed. Speaking of Rocky, did you know that Sylvester Stallone wrote the first draft of the movie in only three days? Did you know that Sylvester Stallone permanently flattened out his knuckles from punching the side of beef? What about Burgess Meredith? He had lived his line in the audition, which landed him the role of Mickey. Or that a destitute Sylvester Stallone turned down $350,000 because the studio didn't want him starring in it? Well, you can find this out and much, much more by listening to Rocky Minute, the fan podcast that covers the Rocky movies one minute at a time. You can find us on DuelingGenre.com. Now get back out there and knock this bum out. Dueling Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week we are discussing Kvothe from the novel The Name of the Wind. And this has been on our to-get-to list since day one. Pretty much, right, Todd? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I have. So uh, episode 188, about time we got around to it. <laughs> well, when I get to the summary... You'll know why it's taken us this long to get to this novel. <laughs> Todd's been working on the summary in the background for 200 episodes almost. <laughs> yeah, not quite. <laughs> uh, a little bit more information about this book. Uh, the Name of the Wind is a 2007 fantasy novel written by Patrick Rothfuss. The novel has two timelines, a present timeline with third-person narration, in which the main character, Kavoth, is a humble innkeeper. Uh, and then there's a second timeline in which that humble innkeeper is telling the story of his life and he's narrating it to a traveling scribe. And that timeline is told in the first person because Kvothe is narrating his own story at that point. Uh, the story of Kvothe's life is, uh, it is in first person, as I said, and it tells us about Kvothe being born to a family who lead a troop of traveling entertainers. His family and the troop are killed by a seemingly magical group of beings. Kvothe grows up homeless on the streets of a city called Tarbian, And then eventually Kvothe travels to a university where he learns magic, which is called sympathy in this book. And along the way, Kvothe makes something of a reputation for himself. That pretty much covers it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't even need it along somewhere. I know. Point, we need right? it. <laughs> right, uh, and then he loses all his money and then he gets a bunch of money back and then he loses a bunch more and then he gets a bunch back. And makes friends and enemies and enemies of friends and yep. friends of enemies. Meets uh, lots of pretty girls. Yeah. Uh, Todd, how did you first come to the name of the wind? Uh, my friend, Jared White, when we were uh, doing the master's program uh, at BYU in Spanish literature, he said, you've got to read this book. And I, he bought it for me and gave Ooh. it to me. And he said, you've got, I, I mean, he cared about it enough that he bought me the book, um, which was very kind of him. And, uh, and I read it and I really liked it. Um, I think I liked it better the second time around than I did the first. Uh, but I enjoyed it. I think then I told you about it. Yes. You recommended it to me. I've not even heard of it. My memory is... This was like in 2007. I mean, or 2008. It was just right. Right. And um, my memory is that we, we we had both gone off to grad school at that point, And we came back and were seeing each other on campus for something. Probably. Mm -hmm. And in the BYU bookstore, you pointed out, that book is really good. I didn't get it at the time. But then I was at a conference and in the airport, I think, waiting to uh -huh. go back. And I just picked it up at the airport because I didn't want to dig out any of the books I picked up at the conference book room. <laughs> 
I just grabbed that book. <laughs> so I have to say, I have not read the second of these novels, and um, and no one has read the third, and no one has read the third <laughs> because it hasn't come out yet, which kind of makes me okay with not having read the second. But I do want to get to it yeah. eventually. I mean, this is this is really good. So this book has been out for eleven years at this point, and I know in that eleven year span, this is the book I have reread the most of anything. <laughs> Does that, does that mean like well, two counting, times, three times? I think I've read like the physical book. I read, I read twice because I, I read it and then right before uh, the sequel, The Wise Man's Fear came out, I reread it to get ready. And then I picked up, I saw the audiobook really cheap at a bookstore once, like on a clearance rack, and I grabbed mm-hmm. it and I've listened to that at least two or three times. The the audio. Wow. Um, and so. I love this book <laughs> a lot. I mean, and obviously in the last four years of us doing this podcast, I've, we, we, we've done a lot of literature and, you know, teaching literature. I cover a lot of things, but this is the single text I know I've revisited the most often by itself. You've never taught it. No, I haven't. Have you? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Um, it's hard with a book this long. It's like 722 pages. The paperback is 722 pages. Uh, it's hard with a book that long to do. I mean, you would have to just teach a semester on the name of the word. Yes. Or you could maybe squeeze something else in, but that's pushing it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how. It's pushing it in a Spanish literature class for sure. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, producer Andrew, I know you're going to be jumping into this conversation, so why don't you share how you came to this novel? Um, It was kind of going around our our family. I think it was after you had read it. Uh, Yeah, Um, I, I recommended it to everyone. And so, I mean, it was a few years later. Um, so at least after, uh, 2011, but yeah, at some point I, I read it and it was fantastic. I think I probably read it, um, shortly after I got back from Poland and, and was catching back up with everything. It seemed like it, this book had had its heyday during the span when I was in Poland Mm. and wasn't reading, um, as much. And then I came back and like, I read the hunger games quickly. Um, after those were the first ones I, I read. And then I read this, which was like the length of all three Hunger Games books, <laughs> you know, combined. Um, and and this one was like, oh, okay, this is something. And then a couple of years later, um, I assume that the second one wasn't out when I read the first one, mm-hmm. and I didn't catch up with it when it when the second one first came out. But when it did come, when I did get it um, and read it. Uh, that was like all I did for eight days, even though I was in college. <laughs> you know, I, I, like, I read, and I think the paperback that I had was an even thousand pages. Like you turn the last page and it's like 1000. Yeah. Nice. Um, and, and yeah, so that was all I did with like all my spare time, even though I was working and going to college for eight days. It was like, okay, I have to like get through class and everything. Then I can get to my apartment. And I'm just going to sit down and read for like the next six hours. And the, uh, I mean, the chapters like vary in length pretty considerably, but mm-hmm. every once in a while you get to like, I can read this next one. It's only five pages long. Well, most then, of the chapters are very short. Yeah, there are yeah, a the, lot of chapters. There's there are like of, 92 chapters in this book. Yeah. And, yeah. So, and so there's a, there's a lot of like two, three, four, mm-hmm. five pages and, and a handful of like 25 It's like pages. potato chip book. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I find that those ones are so, always so tempting to just like, well, I'll just read one more chapter before mm-hmm. I go to sleep. Yes. And you say and, that and to yourself at midnight. And then <laughs> Yes. And then two and a half hours later. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Does your wife let you get away with that? Because my wife is like, turn the light off and go to sleep. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I wasn't married when I read the second okay. one. So yeah, I don't read like that. At now, any, at night. No, do we, you? Like, yeah. I might get a spare half hour. And you say, or she's like a librarian. So she's reading too. Yeah, and also, like, right now, she's, um, so, like, she has a PhD, but 
with the job she got, she has to get a master's in library science. So she's uh-huh. doing night classes to finish up her MLS. Ah. <laughs> okay. So there's that. And also, I mean, just right now with publishing projects that I have and her work, like we're often just up late. And then like when I, when I'm selling in bed, I'll read a chapter or something. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I might read like a half hour. I need to get one of those. On little, and, I need to get one of those little book lights. <laughs> but um, no, like, yeah, my wife and I don't stay up reading without each other okay. very much. Maybe a half hour while the other one has nodded off. Okay. But All right. I don't, I don't read like I used to. Not like when I was in college. <laughs> I just read until 2.30. Yeah. Yeah. And this, I mean, we've said, it's a long book. I, I love Patrick Rothfuss's writing, and a description I would not give it is Hemingway-esque. It is not. <laughs> no. It's not <laughs> it is not sparse. It's no, not I found that as kind of a turnoff the first time that I read it, and and the second time, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I, I love his writing, and just like his descriptions of of everything i think it's it's top-notch descriptive language yeah his pro like i enjoy just the way he constructs sentences yes mm-hmm. and you can tell i mean there's a it's frustrated fans that there's a huge gap between books <laughs> you know the silly like a lot of fans want this third book in this trilogy now that it's been what like eight years seven years since since the the second book of the trilogy was published but you can also tell this is a man who like probably is revising every sentence like at sentence yes. level and thinking yeah. about word choice within there all right, some trivia about The Name of the Wind. Uh, this was Patrick Rothfuss's first novel, and it is the first in a series called The King Killer, King Killer Chronicles, though notably there has been little king killing in the first two books <laughs> of that series. Um, it won the Quill Award and was on Publisher Wheatley's Best Books of the Year list, so it was very well received uh, when it came out. Um, and I just double-checked, and it's really popular. <laughs> <laughs> you just checked online just to be sure yeah, just, how many millions of copies uh, uh, well i think the first two books combined have sold over 10 million copies so far but on that on goodreads uh there are over a half million reviews of it Whoa. and it has a 4.6 rating uh, out, out of five, five stars. stars with Whoa. over five hundred thousand reviews so it, people tend to like it uh and a lot of people <laughs> tend to like it i think is the best <laughs> way to say that um the second book in the in the trilogy, Wise Man's Fear, debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list when that came out. And the third book in the series is reportedly titled The Doors of Stone, though no release date has been announced. Um, and I read that The Name of the Wind, the first book, the one we're talking about, took nine years for Rothfuss to write, and Wise Man's Fear was four years after that one came out. Uh, and it's now been seven years, and his fans are eager for the final book. And in the meantime, though, he has published a couple short stories set in this one about Bast, and he also did a novella um, about one of the, the side characters. Um, what's her name? Ari. Ari. Yeah, about the character Ari uh, from this one. Um, so you can get a little taste here and there of, of it. Um, and a, there's this creative guy. I don't know if you've heard of him. His name is Lin-Manuel Miranda. He is um, <laughs> the he's, he's a producer on an adaptation of The Name of the Wind, which is it's one of those where it's, they don't seem quite sure if it's going to be all on TV or TV and film hybrid or all on film. They're doing something. They're adapting yeah. it. Interesting. They're, they're, they're working really hard on it. This is the second time it's been optioned, actually. Yes. And this time, Lin-Manuel Miranda was attached, and he's going to be writing the music, which music is very important yeah. uh, to the story. Both. And like he said, like the way Patrick Rothfuss writes about music, like like he said, it's the best writing about music that he'd yeah. ever read. And it made him want to uh, be a participant in any adaptation of Name of the Wind. Wow. It's not bad for just, uh, you know, your first novel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it only took him nine years to bang it out, but really. People, uh, people sometimes 
talk about Patrick Rothfuss like he's the inverse of Brandon Sanderson. Yes. Where Brandon Sanderson writes eight books in a year and Patrick Rothfuss writes one book every eight years. But then I, I say there's a, a deep fandom for both. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they're both really good in very different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, and, I mean, just like if they're not, writing in the same genre. It's not a knock against either of them. Because, no. you know, people love their stuff. And yeah, like Patrick Rothfuss is super popular. People love his works. Brandon Sanderson, super popular. People love his his writing, and they're too. good. Like they're they're good, and they're well thought out. But I just feel like the um, if we could like the effort them goes in different places, out. <laughs> the, the and so you goes. get mm-hmm. you yeah. get vastly different. Yeah, they're different products. Fantasy, but like high fantasy, which is both of these I guys. mean, it's just kind of interesting that awesome. you can have different stuff that, in some ways, is so similar. Yeah, um, you know, similar length, you know, quasi fantasy, medieval type. Mm-hmm. pre-industrial revolution world yeah, yeah. um at, but you know such different paces and such different tendencies in their writing all right well before we get to todd's long summary and again <laughs> this is a long book so buckle up for this summary i would say we want to thank all of you who are listening right now so thank you personally listener to you uh and we would also like to thank those of you who support us on patreon and any other listeners who would like to support us financially, we would just invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films or talk about trailers for upcoming films. We also give monthly updates on our fantasy box office. And I will just say July was kind to Todd. <laughs> June and July were kind to Todd and not quite so kind to me in the standings of our 2008 fantasy box or 2018 fantasy box office. All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So Todd, will you take us away with your full spoiler summary of name of the wind okay so i just went uh chapter by chapter through this um some of the chapters are longer some of them are shorter here we go prologue a silence of three parts there's an inn it's silent because of things lacking it's silent because of some silent men huddled around a drink and it's silent because of the deep silence of the innkeeper who is waiting to die chapter one a place for demons a crowd gathers at the waystone inn they start talking about spidery monsters that are invading the countryside then someone brings in a dead one the innkeeper named Coat uh, seems to know how to handle the situation. That night, Coat, also known as Reshi, talks to his servant Bast about the demons. The spider monsters we find out are called Scrail, and they are very dangerous. Chapter two: A beautiful day. A man called the Chronicler walks, makes his way through the countryside. He is Keiji. Chapter three: Wood and Word. Coat hangs a beautiful sword above the mantle in the inn. Someone recognizes Coat and calls him Kvoth, and he says he saw the place where Kvoth killed someone, and the stones were all shattered. Coat pretends not to know what the other guy is talking about and makes sure Bast spreads contrary rumors in the town. Later, Coat buys some heavy gloves and an apron from the blacksmith, then he closes the inn early. Chapter 4, Halfway to Newar. The chronicler is out on the road when he is attacked by the spidery scrail, but the quote, Coat is there to save him and carry his injured body back to the inn. Uh, chapter 5, Notes. Bast helps Coat to care for the chronicler. He is shocked that Coat isn't dead after facing five scrail. Chapter 6, The Price of Remembering. The next morning, the chronicler wakes up and announces to Coat that he knows he is really Kvoth. Coat dances around this for a bit, but it soon becomes clear that it's true. The chronicler wants to write Kvoth's story. Kvoth finally agrees, but says he will need three days to tell it all. The chronicler refuses, saying nobody needs that much time, but then he finally agrees. Chapter 7, Of the Beginnings and the Names of Things. After flexing some of his intellectual muscles, Kvoth begins his tale by stating, My name is Kvoth. Later, later he says, I have stolen princesses, Back from sleeping Barrow Kings, I burned down the town of Trebon. 
I have spent the night with Felurian and left with both my sanity and my life. I was expelled from the university at a younger age than most people are allowed in. I tread paths by moonlight that others fear to speak of during the day. I have talked to gods, loved women, and written songs that make the minstrels weep. You may have heard of me. Chapter 8. <laughs> Thieves, Heretics, and Whores. Kvoth was born into a tribe of wandering minstrels called the Edima Ru. These are high-class gypsies who truly know their business. One day, while Kvoth is still a boy, they arrive in a town. Then a man who is a tinker and a peddler and an arcanist shows up as well. The tinker asks Kvoth if he can join the company, and the very young lad agrees because he has seen the tinker perform magic. Chapter 9, Riding in the Wagon with Ben. The tinker's name is Abenthi, Ben for short, not to be confused with Ben Kenobi. Uh, he, <laughs> he knows about basically everything, and he becomes Kvoth's tutor. Chapter 10, Alar and Several Stones. Ben teaches Kvoth the principle of Alar, which is when a person is able to hold two or more contradictory thoughts in their head at the same time. This idea is the cornerstone of sympathy, of sympathy, sympathy. Which, <laughs> sympathy, <laughs> of sympathy, which is another word for magic, uh, and it's hard work for Kvoth. Chapter 11, The Bending of Iron. Kvoth advances rapidly in his use of sympathy. It allows him to move one object by moving another. Basically, you have to find the connection between two objects, something that ties them together, and then you can move a distant object by moving the connected object that is closer. Chapter 12, Pieces Fitting, Puzzle Pieces Fitting. One night, Kvoth overhears his parents talking with Ben. Their first topic of discussion is something called the Chandrian. These are some kind of mysterious monsters that nobody really understands, but Kvoth's father is researching them. Then Ben tells Kvoth's parents that he thinks Kvoth is smart enough to go to university. Chapter 13, Interlude, Flesh with Blood Beneath. Uh, so now Kvoth takes a break from his story. He offers Chronicler a drink. Bast is caught eavesdropping. He and Chronicler almost get in a big fight, and it turns out that Bast is a fairy, and Chronicler is an arcanist, and these are sort of enemies, um, but Kvoth tells them to be friends, and then he continues his story. Chapter 14, The Name of the Wind. One day, while practicing magic, Voth nearly kills himself by binding the air in his lungs to the air outside. Ben saves him and chastises him. Chapter 15, Distractions and Farewells. The troop stays in town with an attractive wood. Uh, oh, um, oh yeah. It's, uh, the troop stays in a town that has an attractive widow in it. Uh, ben falls in love with her and decides to leave the company. He gives Kvoth a copy of a book called Logic and Rhetoric, and then they part ways. Kvoth is now determined to go to university. He is barely 12 years old. Chapter 16, Hope. One day, the troop is stopped by a felled tree on the road. Kvoth's mother sends him into the woods to gather some plants, and when Kvoth returns, everyone is dead. There are some really bad people there, and their leader is called Lord Haliax, and they look like they're going to kill Kvoth, but then Haliax opens a kind of portal, and they disappear. Kvoth buries his parents, takes his dad's loot, and walks away. By loot, you do not mean his wealth. <laughs> you mean his musical instrument. <laughs> yes! L-U-T-E. L-U-T-E. Not, not yes. L-O-O-T. Chapter 7, Interlude, Autumn. Uh, Kvoth breaks the story to tell Bast to stop blubbering. Uh, then he goes out to get wood for the fire. Bast and the Chronicler make peace, and then Kvoth alone weeps. Okay, I just want to say, that's one of my favorite moments of the entire book. So good. When, uh, he's been telling the story, he tells the whole story of his, of his family being killed, and he, like, it's pretty brutal. <laughs> what, everything that gets described. And then we cut to the present day of him being the narrator of this story, and he, like, Chronicler and Bast are just, like, wide-eyed, like, uh, <laughs> Bast is weeping. Yeah, yeah, and, and they're like, "How did like basically how did you survive?" It's like this, this, this is just my story, guys. Don't worry about it. This is my life. And then he goes out back and just breaks down. Yeah. Chapter eighteen: Roads to Safe Places. Quoth dreams of survival things that he learned in the past. Then he wakes up and gets to surviving, finding water, trapping a rabbit, eating some herbs. Chapter nineteen: Fingers and Strings. Quoth spends six months in the woods. He plays his lute, and he gets very good at playing numerous invented tunes. Then his strings start to break, and he decides to go to town to get to, new, to get new strings. And he meets a nice man on the road who gives him a ride. 
Um, I also I have to mention that he learns how to play his lute with fewer than the uh, requisite number of strings. Because each time a string breaks, he just, he he just keeps he, playing. He, he figures out. And it, it, he's kind of, I mean, almost in a fugue state when he's out yes. in the woods. This is yeah. not a healthy, yes. emotionally healthy quote out there. I mean, like, really, his higher functions aren't operating. Yes. Chapter 20, Bloody Hands into Stinging Fists. Kvoth makes it to a city called Tarbian. There he gets beaten up by thugs and his loot is broken and he decides to stay in the city. Chapter 21, Basement, Bread, and Bucket. After a few months of living on the street, Kvoth finds a man named Trappus who takes care of stray kids in a dirty basement. He is kind and gives them a bit of bread and water. It is a kind of refuge for Kvoth. Chapter 22, A Time for Demons. It's midwinter festival time in Tarbian, and Kvoth tries to go begging in a wealthy part of town, but he gets badly beaten by a guard and barely escapes with his life. Once he's back in the poor part of town, a nice man dressed in a demon mask gives him some money, and Kvoth somehow survives the freezing night. I like that chapter a lot. Chapter 23, The Burning Wheel. The next day, he makes it into Trappus's basement, where Trappus nurses Kvoth back to health. While Kvoth is there, Trappus tells a long story about a god named Telu and a demon named Encanus. Chapter 24, Shadows Themselves. Three years pass in Tarbian, and Kvoth becomes a decent beggar and petty thief. One day, he hears some older boys beating up a young boy. Afraid to give up his secret hiding place, Kvoth does not act to save the boy. Uh, chapter 25, Interlude, Eager for Reasons. Basque asks Kvoth why he didn't just leave Tarbian if, he, if it was so bad. Kvoth says he had nowhere to go, and he was still in shock from his parents' death. But something changed in him that night as he listened to the little boy's screams. That was the night that made him Kvoth. Chapter 26, Lanray Turned. Kvoth survives and even achieves a kind of comfort in living as a beggar and a thief. Then one day he hears about a guy called Scarpy who tells stories in a tavern by the docks. It is dangerous for Kvoth to go because he has a pretty serious feud going on with a kid named Pike who lives by the docks. But Kvoth is curious, so he goes and finds this guy Scarpy and asks him for a story about Lanray, who is the guy who eventually turned into Haliax, one of the Chandrian. Scarpy tells the story. Kvoth decides he will definitely come back. Chapter 27, His Eyes Unveiled. The next day, Kvoth realizes that the man who killed his parents was Haliax. He decides to go and ask Scarpy for more information. Chapter 28, Telu's Watchful Eye. Kvoth finds Scarpy in the tavern telling a story, but in the middle of it, priests of Telu come and accuse Scarpy of heresy and arrest him. Things don't look good for the storyteller, but before they haul him off, he tells Kvoth to run and hide for a while. Kvoth obeys. Chapter 29, The Doors of My Mind. Kvoth runs back to his hiding place, and he opens his mind up to the past. He decides to find a way to fight the Chandrian. There is a story about a group of people called the Amarin Knights, but they supposedly died out 300 years earlier. Chapter 30, The Broken Binding. Kvoth takes his copy of Rhetoric and Logic to a bookseller and sells it, but has the seller sign a contract saying Kvoth can buy the book back within 20 days. Kvoth is making plans to go to university. Chapter 31, The Nature of Nobility. Kvoth takes the money and goes to an inn and buys a delicious breakfast. Then he takes a bath, not wanting to put on his dirty clothes, uh, beggar's clothes again. He wraps himself in a towel and goes to find a clothing store, <laughs> pretending to be a noble son who lost his clothes in a brothel. Now, he, now that he has his clothes and he's clean, he's ready to go to the university. Chapter 32, Coppers, Cobblers, and Crowds. Kvoth gets new shoes. He finds a wagoneer that will take him north, um, and he says goodbye to Trappist. Chapter 33, A Sea of Stars. There is a girl traveling with Kvoth's group. Her name is Denna. They fall in like with each other. He thinks she's the most beautiful thing he has ever seen. Chapter 34, Yet to Learn. A guy named Josen joins the group. He flirts with Denna, and it makes Kvoth jealous. Then on the last night, he pulls out a lute and plays a bit. Kvoth asks to hold the instrument. He does, and then plays it beautifully. Then he goes into the dark and cries. Chapter 35, A Parting of Ways. They arrive in Imre. Kvoth says goodbye to Denna and the rest of the group. Chapter 36, Less Talents. Kvoth goes to the university and faces the admissions board. Having no letter of introduction, he just has to answer all of their questions, which he does pretty easily. Impressed, they admit him in and actually pay him to study. This has never happened. Chapter 37, Bright-Eyed. A guy named Simmons shows Kvoth around and helps him find a place to stay. 
both meet some other students. He doesn't let on about how he was accepted. He tries to get into the archives, but the guy at the door won't let him in because his name isn't in the register yet. Chapter 38, Sympathy in the Mains. Kvothe goes to his first class about the basics of sympathy, but it's way too easy. He goes to the archives looking for books on the Chandrian and gets scolded for looking into childish things. Uh, chapter 39, Enough Rope. Kvothe goes to the second sympathy class, and the teacher, Master Hemi, tells the class that Kvothe will teach the lecture since he seems to know everything. Kvothe actually does teach the class and uses the opportunity to use magic to burn, both literally and figuratively, Master Hemi. <laughs> In the process, he creates himself an enemy, but gains the applause of his peers. Chapter 40, On the Horns. Kvothe is called to a meeting of the Nine Masters for Punishment. Uh, Hemi wants to be him to be expelled, but Kvothe defends himself well and ends up with just a lashing. But he also gets allowed into the Arcanum, which is like AP Magic Studies. The other Arcanum students don't seem impressed that Kvothe will be joining them after just one day of school. Chapter 41, Friend's Blood. Kvothe uses some herbs and his own mental toughness to wither the lashings. Chapter 42, Bloodless. Kvothe goes to the Medica and meets Master Arwill, who asks Kvothe about the self-medication before the lashings. Then a cute girl called Mola stitches him up. Chapter 43, The Flickering Way. Kvothe goes to the archives immediately. The boy at the desk is called Ambrose, and he is a jerk. He tricks Kvothe into going into the archives with a candle. When the master finds out, he bans Kvothe from the archives. Kvothe swears to get revenge on Ambrose. Real quick, this is pre-industrial society, which we said, uh, but there are things called sympathy lamps, which is magical light that would not ever start a fire yeah. inside of the library. So candles are completely banned. Right. But Kvothe doesn't know that. Yeah. But Ambrose does. And and Kvothe is a little bit foggy because he took he self-medicated he was, yes. before the lashes. And he's also just generally a bull in a china shop. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He, he does not have a lot of finesse. <laughs> Chapter 44, The Burning Glass. Kvothe has to decide who will be his master sponsor. His friends want him to pick Kilvin, who specializes in making sympathy lamps and is nice to Kvothe. But Kvothe is interested in Master Elodin, who is the master namer and slightly crazy. Chapter 45, Interlude, Some Tavern Tale. Uh, Kvothe tells Chronicler and Bass that his story is not as simple as the typical hero's journey, but that he did find a mentor at the university. Chapter 46, The Ever-Changing Wind. Kvothe asks Elodin to help him study naming. Elodin takes him to the asylum to show him that naming can go wrong and make you crazy. He tells Kvothe that he will teach him if he jumps off the top of the building. Kvothe does so and ends up in the hospital. <laughs> Elodin <laughs> refuses to teach someone stupid enough to jump off a building. Kvothe <laughs> decides to study artificing under Master Killing, uh, Kilvin. Chapter 47, Barbs. Kvothe continues through his first term. He builds himself quite a reputation. He also builds on his enmity with Ambrose. They hate each other and everyone knows it. Chapter 48, Interlude, A Silence of a Different Kind. Kvothe tells him it is time for him to tell about a woman. Chapter 49, The Nature of Wild Things. His next semester, the masters require nine talents of Kvothe. It's more than he has. He needs to find a shady moneylender, so he goes across the river to a town called Imre. Chapter 50, Negotiations. Kvothe finds a shady moneylender, a woman, uh, a young woman called Devi. She requires him to give her his blood as collateral for the loan. Uh, he goes and buys a cheap loot and then takes out the loan. Real quick, just within the world of sympathy where you, you can bind objects to like objects, giving blood to an arcanist is really yeah. the stupidest thing that anyone can yes. possibly if, do. If somebody can do magic and you, they have your blood... There's then no way do. you're not going to pay them back. Or they're voodoo going magic to, on you. Yeah, basically do voodoo. <laughs> uh, chapter 51, Tar and Tin. Kvothe starts to learn a kind of sympathy called sigildry. It's used for binding objects like bricks together. Chapter 52, Burning. Things go pretty poorly for Kvothe as he is overworked with classes and working in the fishery, where he apprentices learning how to make stuff with sympathy. His friends talk to Mr. Kil uh, Master Kilvin, and Kvothe is no longer allowed to work because he is too tired. Chapter 53, Slow Circles. Kvothe plans to go to Imre to a fancy place called the Aeolian, where you can pay to play, and if you're very good, they will give you a badge that says uh, 
that says that you're really good. Uh, so it's easier to make money with your playing. A couple of close friends know he is practicing but haven't heard him play. Only a girl called Ari has heard that. She lives in hiding at the university and comes out to hear him in the night. They are friends. Chapter 54, A Place to Burn. Kvothe goes to the alien and earns his talent pipes by playing a super difficult song. A talented woman joins him in singing towards the end and when he needs a, when he needs a female part. Also, one of his strings breaks mid-song uh, and he finishes the song with six strings. It's amazing. And... It really is amazing. And the writing about it. It's The writing so about good. music is... It's kind of like um, on Food Network when they talk about we have to describe taste. Like, yes. Like, this shouldn't work. This medium should not communicate food. And yet Food Network is an extremely popular channel because they figured out how to do that. Writing should... You, it should be difficult to communicate music. Patrick Rothfuss nails it. He does. Mm-hmm. Yes. Chapter 55, Flame and Thunder. There is a moment of silence when Kvothe finishes, then a roaring applause. Chapter 56, Patrons, Maids, and Methiglin. Uh, Kvoth celebrates his victory with his friends. Bunches of people come to congratulate him. Some give him money. He will now be able to pay off his debt. He also realizes that Ambrose probably used sympathy to break his lute string. Then he gets anxious thinking about the woman who sang the woman's part of his song. He wants to meet her, but he has no way to recognize her. So he wanders around the room and finally he hears her voice and sees her and she is beautiful. Chapter 57, interlude, the parts that form us. Both struggles to describe the beauty of this woman, Denna. He ends up by simply stating that she was beautiful. Chapter 58, names for beginning. Kvoth and Denna, the same Denna from the wagon trip, banter for a bit. Then Kvoth finds out that she is at the Aeolian on a date with Kvoth's, best, uh, Kvoth's friend, Sovoy. So he tells her his name and she tells him hers, Diane. Uh, chapter 59, all of this knowing. The drunk boys make their way back to the university. Chapter 60, fortune. Things are now looking up for Kvothe. He can't find Denna in Imre, but he pays off his interest on his loan to Devi, and she agrees to let him read her books. She has a nice collection. He gets his job back at the fishery, and he negotiates a sweet deal for himself at one of the inns in town. Now he has his own room and board as well. Chapter 61, Jackass, Jackass. Kvothe and one of his new friends from the Aeolian compose a song together about Ambro- Ambrose, Ambrose, who has the unfortunate last name Jackass. The song goes uh, medieval viral. And Ambrose is furious, so he pays off all the innkeepers in town to not hire Kvothe. But eventually, he finds a tavern owned by a guy called Anchor, who hires him. It's a humble place, but sues Kvothe fine. He's also furious at Ambrose and feeds the fire even more by composing and posting another verse of the song. This is not going to end well. Chapter 62, Leaves. Master Kilvin brings a new kind of chemical into the workshop. They call it bone tar, because if it gets on you, it will eat your flesh to the bone. That night, Dennis shows up in Kvothe's tavern, and they go for a long walk. He is totally smitten. Chapter 63, Walking and Talking. Kvothe tells his friends about his walk and talk with Denna. Chapter 64, Nine in the Fire. Kvothe makes a lamp. He also finds out that there is a secret entrance to the archives, and he decides to try to find it. Chapter 65, Spark. Kvothe finally meets up again with Denna, and they do more walking and talking. She agrees to meet him again the following day. Chapter 66, Volatile. Kvothe misses his date with Denna because he almost burns down the workshop with the bone tar, but he does save a girl named Fila in the process who's also cute. All the girls in this are very cute. (laughs) This university doesn't have, like, the ratio of male to female students. It's it's very heavily male. Yes. Um, But it's like the cream of the crop for all the women. (laughs) And they all like both. Yeah, these are the best of the best. Yeah, every every time there's a woman, and she was beautiful or Super intelligent. Yeah, they're all super intelligent, super competent, like, more competent than the men. Yes. In order to have made it into the university. Mm -hmm. And they also happen to be stunningly beautiful. Yes. Uh, chapter 67, A Matter of Hands. Kvothe talks to Master Kilvin about the fire. For once, Kvothe isn't in trouble. Chapter 68, The Ever-Changing Wind. Kvothe goes to the Aeolian looking for Denna, but finds Fila there instead. She's very grateful to him for saving his life, and she gives him a cloak. 
She's also very pretty, and they talk and have a drink. Then Kvothe spots Denna, who leaves, apparently displeased. Later, Kvothe takes a, f- a fellow student from the Medica called... Uh, oh, he talks to a fellow student from the Medica called Mola to see if Ari is okay. Oh, he takes her to see if Ari is okay. Sorry. Chapter 69, Wind or Women's Fancy. A couple of hired goons attack Kvothe in an alley. They have one of his hairs and can track him using sympathy. Kvothe is sure Ambrose has sent them. He uses sympathy to escape with his life. Now he isn't sure what to do. Chapter 70, Signs. Kvothe hears rumors of an attack by the Chandrian just 70 miles upriver from Imre. He goes to Devi and tries to negotiate a huge loan so he can get a horse and make it to Trebon in one day. Chapter 71, Strange Attraction. Devi gives Kvothe the money and he gets a horse and rides all the way to Trebon. When he gets there, he finds out that there is, was only one survivor of the wedding party that was attacked by the Chandrian. Nobody wants to talk about it, but they tell him where they can find these, this lone survivor. Kvoth is surprised to see that it is Denna. Chapter 72, Boreril. The two young people head out to the farm where the wedding party had been massacred. She tells him that he has a myster- that she has a mysterious potential new patron and that he has asked her to pl- he had asked her to play at the wedding. The man, Mr. Ash, they decide to call him, had asked her to come into the woods with him. She was out there when the farm was attacked. She says she was injured when she ran into a tree, but Kvothe doesn't believe her. Eventually, they both accept that it was the Chandrian. Then they find a river and wash up. Chapter 73, Pegs. They come across a farmer. He is unaware of the trouble at the wedding, but he seems to think the whole hill is haunted or something. They pump him for information and find out there was once a fort on this hill and that the owners of the farm had found something in the ruins. Chapter 74, Waystone. The kids make camp on top of a big hill. When night comes, they can see blue flame in the distance. In the middle of the night, they hear horrible noises noises of a huge animal. They climb up on top of a giant rock and are terrified to see a dragon crest their hill, breathing blue flame. Chapter 75, Interlude, Obedience. Kvothe is surprised that Chronicler and Bast don't interrupt him when he says that he saw a dragon. They say they didn't because he asked them not to, and they're obedient. (laughs) Chapter 76, The Mating Habits of the Common Dracus. Turns out the dragon is just an enormous herbivorous lizard that blows fire as a mating ritual. They spend the night on top of the stone. Chapter 77, Bluffs. In the morning, they seize smoke and follow it to a burned up house. The Dracus returns and they run into a cave to hide. There they find that the owner of this house was making a drug that has various names. I'll call it resin. Uh, Denna accidentally eats some and gets a little high. Uh, the Dracus has been eating the resin trees, and it is about to run out of trees, and then it will go into withdrawals and be very dangerous. So Kvothe decides they need to kill it, but he doesn't have anything to kill it with. It's as big as a wagon. It's huge. Yeah, and it's like it's has and it's covered in impenet- scales that are made of iron. Yeah, yeah that are impenetrable. <laughs> like you can't go wound this thing. Right. Chapter seventy-eight: Poison. So they decide to poison the Dracus by giving it an overdose of resin. Chapter 79, Sweet Talk. They talk sweetly to each other as Denna continues under the influence of the resin. They also do some snuggling because she is cold. Chapter 80, Touching Iron. The Dracus comes and eats the resin, but it's not enough to kill it, just make it crazy. It runs to attack the city. Kvothe leaves the now-sleeping Denna and races to the city where he uses magic to quench the fires now raging uh, there, and he also kills the Dracus. Chapter 81, Pride. Kvothe falls and is knocked out. (laughs) Chapter 82, Ash and Elm. He wakes up, and the people in the town think he is a hero for killing the Dracus. He goes back to where he had left Denna, but she is gone. He goes back to town and tells the people he wants to know what the old farmer had found before the wedding massacre. So the, the story is that the, the owner of the farm had found something on his farm, and that that was what probably he was killed. Well, it was going to be a wedding gift for his daughter. It was going like to be a wedding gift. A little dowry gift. thing. So a little girl comes and tells Kvothe that she saw a pot painted with pictures of what Kvothe knows are the Chandrian. She is scared, and he comforts her and feels like a hero. Chapter 83, Return. Kvothe returns to university, pays off some debt, explains things to friends and teachers. Chapter 84, A Sudden Storm. 
Kvothe runs into Denna and Imre. She's with another guy. Kvothe goes to see his friends. Ambrose shows up and breaks Kvothe's loot. He is devastated and without thinking calls on the name of the wind to punish Ambrose. The whole experience leaves him ill. Chapter 85, Hands Against Me. Kvothe goes before the masters and is expelled from the university for using magic against Ambrose, even though he didn't know what he was doing. Chapter 86, The Fire Itself. Then Master Elodin, the master namer, moves to not expel Kvothe and the punishment is revoked. Um, so now he just has to be whipped. Oh, and Kvoth is promoted in rank and put under Master Elodin's t- tutelage. Elodin begins to teach Kvoth about how the magic of names works. Chapter 87, Boldness. Kvoth meets, uh, Kvoth meets Ari for dinner up on the roof. He asks her if she will show him the under, the under thing, which is a network of tunnels and rooms underneath the university where Ari lives in hiding. She agrees and he goes down with her. Chapter 88, Interlude, Looking. Kvothe's story is interrupted by a bunch of people who come in for drinks, then a zombie guy comes in, and there's a big fight, and he kills a, a, a guy, and then he's killed. Nobody knows quite what's going on. Kvothe says the guy came looking for him, and that all of the bad things that are going on in the world are his fault. And then things settle down, and he continues his story. Chapter 89, A Pleasant Afternoon. Kvothe is whipped. Then he goes to town and buys a new loot, his blood uh, back from Debbie, and a new warm dress for Ari. Chapter 90, Half-Built Houses. Quoth finally sneaks his way into the archives where he meets Fila. He asks her to help him find books about the Chandrian, but it's a very big library and everything is disorganized. Chapter 91, Worthy of Pursuit. Quoth keeps seeing Denna in town, but she is always with other men. He's afraid to chase her because she will run again, so he just keeps hanging out with her. Chapter 92, The Music That Plays. Quoth calls it a night for his story. Chronicler goes to bed. Basque comes to him in the night and tells him that the real reason Chronicler is there is because Basque Bast needs Quoth to remember the man he once was. The world needs him back. Chapter 93, A Silence of Three Parts. It's night, and there are three silences in the inn. The silence of things that aren't there to make noise, the silence of the chronicler trying to sleep, and the silence of Quoth in his room waiting to die. <gasps> the end. You made it, Todd. Fan- How long was that? Fantastic. Uh, probably at least 25 minutes, but I don't think it was 35 okay. minutes. Yeah. I think you broke our record. For night circus level, like, yeah, <laughs> it is not the longest summary we've had, and I think you did a great job, like just boiling down those yeah. chapters, cutting, cutting everything away. And I will just say, listeners, if you enjoyed that, go read the book, and you're still going to enjoy it, even though it's oh, coming. Because yeah, yeah. the there way is the so story much. is presented yeah. is so important to really appreciating what is going on in the name of the wind. I mean, if you could just like pick one description from the story, I'm sure each of us has like a. a fond description that we remember in addition to like the descriptions of music but like he talks about cloaks at one point mm. and i'm just like this is so great <laughs> I, I love the way uh i mean he almost barely got mentioned because you had to trim everything but his friend simmons like the mm. way he talks about mm. just what a good friend he is yeah it's like oh that's the best friendship ever yeah I, like you didn't even mention his other best friend uh will yeah no and it's like like that trio is they're really great the trio and he, yeah when he talks about sim and will it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we're saying like, so we gave you the bare bones in the summary and so much of it is in how the story is told. And even with those bare bones, you probably already understand this. It's like Rothfuss is, he's not like breaking new ground for high fantasy stories. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, the, the story of the, the begin it begins with the flashback to his troop. And I mean, 
Orphan. The, yeah, you get the orphan, but there you get the gypsy story, which feels mm-hmm. a lot like the, um, to me at least, it reminded me of the Rude Mechanicals and Midsummer Night's Dream, like this mm-hmm. kind of fun, goofy <laughs> at times. I mean, not his parents, but everyone else around him, like this traveling troupe yeah. that tells stories. Tarbian is just Dickensian. Patrick Rothfuss was, yeah. was feeling his Dickens yeah. <laughs> for, in, for in those the, chapters. For, the, for those chapters. And then it, feel, it feels very different once he leaves there. And then the university... Obviously, you want to say Hogwarts, but also Wizard of Mercy, like some of the Ursula K. Mm-hmm. Lewin. Like, yeah, you feel a lot of that. Like, you you can cite antecedents uh, to a lot of what happens in this, but the way the package is put together just makes this one of my favorite versions of, fan- of a fantasy novel. It's really excellent world building mm-hmm. where, like, there, I mean, there is constantly reference to like cultural touchstones that they have in this world that he doesn't give you the full story on. And like, he does give you like creation myth and, 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 you know, some mythologies, but he, like with the troop, he talks about plays. And it's like, this is a really popular play. What is it? Like, it's like, <laughs> like the 10 penny King or something. He's like, yeah. he gives you the title and maybe like, he'll mention some stuff that happens. It's like, okay, but like, I want to know like about this play. And he gives you just enough to know. It's like, okay, this is a world yeah. where people live and people experience things and there's culture and but it doesn't give you so much that you feel like you actually know all of the things that are popular. Uh, similarly, the way I, I think religion and folklore and mythology like all get blended together, mm-hmm. and and like as he travels to a different city, there's like things that are just slightly their, their different. church is a little different. Yeah, things that are just slightly different, but it still feels cohesive mm-hmm. in the way that uh, you know the the real world is yeah. um like and this is why i think it takes a long time for him to build these novels is yeah. um the, these threads that are not the story that he's telling this is the world that the story is inhabiting there's so much care that was taken to build again like the the way the folklore gets passed around from city to city and everything it doesn't feel like heavy like <laughs> over overdone or ham-fisted right um the first time that i read this novel i was i guess i was in in a like a, a mood for Hemingway or something. <laughs> and it felt like the, it felt like he tried a little bit too hard on the, the, the language is just a little flowery. Mm-hmm. Um, he loves a, a great metaphor. And so he'll throw them out. Yeah. Um, but, but the thing is it's Kavoth loves a great metaphor. Cause when it's in the frame story and it's a third yes, person narrator, he's, it, it's a very different presentation yes. of story. Yeah. Um, and the second time that I read it, uh, it totally worked for me. Um, so I really liked it. Uh, but it feels, um, it feels like, I don't know, when you, when you pick something up that's been like handmade and it just feels like well-made. Yeah. You can see, and like, you can just this person feel has the, the care, experience, right? the care. It's, it's not necessarily like the hours that were put into that specific object. It's just the hours that the hands have put into the craft. Yeah. The craft right. I mean, if it takes him nine years to write this, it's not because for eight of those years, he has writer's block. Yeah, it's yeah. because he's, he's working on the story time. for nine years just to get it right. And um, or, or you he's, feel that. Or he's doing the other things that help him write the story. Right. You know, he seems like the guy that's like, he's got a lot of experience. He's he built the back. Stuff. It's mm-hmm. like what we've talked about. How was it? When we talked about Steve Jobs or something and his dad. Um, wanting to uh, like the back of when the, you the build, back of the computer yeah, when you should build, always be good. Or the well, when you build cabinet. the yeah, when you build the cabinet, the back of the cabinet that nobody sees is important. Just should, like is just as important as the front. And Steve Jobs got obsessed with the interior of computers. 
like yeah. the design elements of how the circuit boards would be laid yeah. out. Yeah, but then also, you know, like the, the entire, like, mm-hmm. yeah, the interior, exterior, the back of the computer. Yes. I mean, yeah. in some ways it feels weird to circle back to Hemingway because we said it distinctly is not Hemingway-esque, but Hemingway is famous for the iceberg idea of writing that you are going to reveal the tip and the yeah. audience is going to sense everything underneath. Mm-hmm. In this thousand-page book, that is still happening with Patrick Rothfuss, yeah, where, where you're, you're, you're seeing this world, but you sense that there's more to this world than what has been presented in the book. Yeah, I mean... In so, terms of world building. When, not when, necessarily I, think of a, of when I think of a Brandon Sanderson novel, um, I feel like the world building is more like more on display. We're like, this is an amazing system of magic and it's so complicated and it takes chapters and chapters to Explain understand it. everything that's going on. And um, I feel like we don't get all of that exposition mm-hmm. here about the world building. Um, it's not the thing that stands out to me in the novel, although it's clear that it's all there, but I feel like he leaves way more under the water mm-hmm. than a lot of other fantasy writers yeah. who like to push it to the top because they – because they've done all of the work. So many hours are there in right. their creativity and their thinking. That and their you pondering. want it to rise up to the top and it can be really interesting. I, I don't I don't consider that a knock on Brandon Sanderson's novels. Yeah. One of the things that makes them delightful is that you can really get into the world. Well, um, and there's definitely a negative side. Like if you don't give enough information, then yeah. your magic system it just falls apart as far as paying attention to it. And I think as far as magic systems are concerned, I don't know that I would put this at the same level as like what Brandon Sanderson does is in his mm-hmm. novels. Um, I think that like sigildry and sympathy and binding things together, it's a cool idea, but it's, it's kind of hard for me to follow. Um, like when he's burning down the, when the city's burning down and he's like, he runs and he grabs a thing and then he lights it on fire. And then he does a thing. He sticks it in and he sticks it in the water. And then all the fire goes out. I'm like, wait a second. What did he just do? <laughs> yeah. um, in a way that I never get that with, with Sanderson because he takes so much time to explain exactly how the system works so it always makes sense to me the like the bindings work where like they explain like simply like if you have one stone and you bind it to a second stone you pick up the first stone the second stone rises but it feels like you're lifting two right like you you have to wait like that all works it's um there's a section where he talks about like to do this you have to have the elar and it's breaking your mind into two and then breaking your mind into four and then breaking your mind (laughs) like to me that's the part where like i don't know what he's doing but it sounds pretty cool (laughs) well i like and one of the things that i think about a lot and it's maybe the one um like the one philosophical thing from this book that has stuck the most with me is actually the idea of of alar and having two ideas in your mind at the Mm -hmm. same time that hold the same kind of weight um and i think that that's an important thing uh like when you're studying philosophy and um to be able to like sort of try different things out Mm -hmm. um and i think sometimes just to like make your way through life you kind of have to do that yeah (laughs) Um, and so that's something that I often think about. Well, like, oh, it's like the name of the wind where you have to think of these two opposite things and give them the yeah. exact same weight. But in are your you mind. breaking your mind into two? No, well, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I mean. Right. That, that's the part that like for me, like the system, I'm like, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to like, right. how that's supposed to be in his head. But yeah. like the, the stones and the weight being linked now, like that all makes like mm-hmm. sense in terms of a cohesive magical system. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. God, you've got some notes of things I've talked for a lot, a long time. So okay, I'm willing to let you. Um, one of my notes is more about the way the story is being told, and one is more about Kavoth as a character. Which one do you want to tackle first? Kavoth as a character. Okay. Uh, remember when we were talking about Antigone? Yes. <laughs> and we said the Greeks are really good at making the character's strength their weakness, yes. like their fatal flaw, oh, yeah, and, and what makes them amazing is the exact same thing. 
Kvothe is a Greek yes. <laughs> hero in that sense. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. All the things that make him great are the same things as, like, this is causing you all of your trouble. Right. Like, his confidence that is right on the cusp of just utter arrogance. Right. <laughs> He's <laughs> barely backing it up. Yes. Uh, his his brashness, um, his eagerness to learn, you know, all, all these things that in some settings are just, like, make you love Kvothe. In other settings, you're like, bad, bad idea. Bad. <laughs> back away. Back away. And he, he sneaks into the into the archives. <laughs> yeah. It's like, come on, man. You're so close. You've done so much work so far. If he waits a, a month more, he's uh-huh. going to get let into the archives, but he just has no patience. Yeah, he, he doesn't. But, um, and it's so, it's so wonderfully frustrating about him. Yes. <laughs> like those, those moments. And it's, it's consistent. It's not like this is, you know, the flaws are like coming out of nowhere. It's like, no, this is exactly who Kavoth is as a person. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense that he's constantly like the, the masters of the school love him and think he's one of the greatest students ever. And they're always just a hair's breadth away from kicking him out of the school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I true. mean, they, they like gave him a stipend for his first semester. And it's like within two days, like, do we have to like kick you out after we <laughs> yeah. just get you in? Um, yeah, it's certainly, I mean, we were kind of joking before there is this kind of roller coaster um, feel to the, especially the middle of this novel uh, when he's at school where he's like totally down on his luck. He, he's not going to have any money. And then he gets his pipes and then he has a bunch of money and then he loses all of his money and then he gets all of his money and then he loses all of his money. He has to take out a bigger loan. So he has to take, go. Yeah. It just goes on and on like that for a while in the middle. And it's like, man, it, it was surprising to me that, um, and I don't know if this is an inconsistency. You tell me if you think this is an inconsistency with this character. Because when he's in Tarbian uh, and he's living on the street, he's so careful with his money. And over three years, he actually he kind of- up a little bit. He saves up enough money that when he decides I'm out, then he like goes, he buys himself some breakfast, he, does he all takes stuff. a shower, and then he, and he like moves out on his own power. But somehow, um, when he gets to university, he's like incapable of the same kind of um, thrift mm-hmm. that he demonstrated when he was a, a yeah, I mean, Though at the same time, he is like constantly talking about scraping. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it is there. It's just as soon as he has the weight of like more money than he ever had in Tarbian, he right, gets yeah. in a loan from Debbie. You know, it, it's hard for him, I think, to to feel the same care about that versus because he had so little before. Yeah. And I don't think that's inconsistent. I think that's something we see in ourselves, like in in human nature. Right. right? I mean, inconsistent with him and his character. Is is it the same quote in Tarbian that we see at university? I I think so. Well, I I mean, it's called university. But like, think about how many people do you know who like scrimp and save like all through high school because they're going to college and they go to college and they get the first Pell Grant loan or whatever it is. Yeah. And then it's like, like, all that money like, you saved didn't oh, really matter. Here comes the DVD player. <laughs> Apparently, um, I've heard it's like super common in England to take a little vacation when you have, like, if you get student loans, people that get student loans almost always take a little vacation to like France mm-hmm. or go to like Disneyland Paris or something. And it's like, oh, how, how are you paying for this? Well, I got student loans. <laughs> and that's like that's like a feature of getting your student loan and i mean i assume that they pay it off later and it like i mean that's going to cost you down the road because uh-huh. you took a vacation because you got a student loan and i mean he still has all these systems that he's he's gaming like a dozen different things any every day to try and like save money for his next yeah tuition. yeah and, and pay off his he debt. also has just terrible luck yeah. <laughs> well and like like at a, a certain point and and um so patrick roth has done a podcast he's he's not 
you know, currently uh-huh. recording, but you could go track down the episodes. Um, and he talks about things like, you know, whether or not it was intentional, but at a certain point he knows that the readers are counting how many shirts Quoth has. Right. Because that's what he talks about. You know, like I put that in and I know you're counting because, you know, right. that's, that's what matters. That's what's intense. That's where the drama is. Right. And, um, and it, it's a really cool thing because how many things do you watch or read where it seems to be, it has to be the end of the world. Like that is the only way they can, ramp up the stakes of drama is like it has to be the end of the world and Patrick Rothfuss says intentionally he's like I look at it and I say I'm gonna make you cry because he just lost his library card yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and it's like it's heartbreaking I mean when he loses his library card I mean we're 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 fans of Marvel movies and they have this problem where it's like every Marvel movie some giant thing is crashing to the earth from the sky and that's and you start to lose a sense of peril for that Mm -hmm. and this like, uh, I mean, him losing his library card or when he is going to get his first whipping and he takes off his shirt and the guy, like, I don't, don't have enough shirt. The guy is going to whip and he's like, it'll hurt less if you wear a shirt. He's like, I own one shirt. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I, I can't. Not. Yeah. <laughs> and I cannot afford a second. Yeah. So, so take it off my shirt. And it doesn't feel like there's less drama in this mm-hmm. because the world isn't going to end. You know, no. him taking off that shirt is still like a dramatic, impactful, emotional. But there is also the, the promise world, of, of, a world of, ending, of a world ending, of yeah. a world ending kind of thing, right? Yeah. Just why Bast is saying to Chronicler, you have to mm-hmm. kind of go with me. We have to push him in certain directions in the storytelling because this is vitally important. There's something with the, the Chandrian and the uh-huh. Fae. Well, There's I all mean, these other things. Even, even in the third act of, of this story, um, you know, he fights a dragon and it burns down a town. It's like, okay. And but still, killing. I think way more about the library card and his shirts and stuff than, yeah. this, than this big action sequence where a town almost burns down and he, has, like to, wandering around he has to crush a dragon with a giant iron wheel. Like, Yeah, like I remember so much more just his like simple interactions with Denna than mm-hmm. I do the dragon thing. Like what, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've laughed on the podcast before about how bad my memory is for plot. <laughs> but like, as I was reading this again, I was like, Oh my gosh, there's a dragon. I totally <laughs> forgotten about the fact that this huge Dracus shows up. Um, but there are things like his relationship with Denna that's kind of stuck with me. And for me, like one thing that sticks with me, and this is one of the bigger things that sticks with me, is like what is going on with these Chandria? <laughs> like, yeah, like, like, like I'm wondering the back mythology of yeah. this whole world and these like people that most uh, these characters that most people think are just folklore, like childish fairy mm-hmm. tale that he knows are real. And, and then like the, the Emir that he's mm-hmm. trying to find out what happened to this order of, of, of knights of knights that just disappeared mm-hmm. 300 years ago. And I love um, one way where like early on we're told like, Oh, this stuff matters is when uh, Ben is talking to, Close parents. He's like, I don't know that you guys should be like, <laughs> looking into researching, <laughs> researching the Chandrian so much. And and his parents are like, we're just trying to tell the best Chandrian story ever. Everyone has Chandrian stories. We just want to put them all together. He's like, I don't yeah, think you should. And, and maybe not a good idea. And, and the dad is like, I didn't think you were superstitious. He's like, look, when we wander to this side of the world, what's there? They talk about the Shambleman. Do you ever hear anyone else talk about Shambleman? Well, no, that's their superstitions in that country. And when we go over here, they, I can't remember the other, yeah. like, they, everywhere has their own superstitions. What does everyone on this whole world talk about? The Chandrian. That they're afraid of. Yeah. yeah. And like, there must maybe, be something real. Maybe we should be scared of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and, and, um, and like, the, you're saying you want to know more about that. And I feel like he intentionally teases that. There's like a time where Quoth gets into Scarpy's story late mm-hmm. and you're missing a bunch of stuff. It's like, but I want to know how the rest yeah. of that yeah. story goes. And there's so many, like, as we get these stories of these heroes and this mythology, 
There's so many great little things that I didn't catch on my first reading of both these. This books. definitely rewards yeah. multiple readings. So like, um, who's the who's the king? That's the legendary, the good guy. Uh, not the you mean the not the king, uh, but the uh, um tur the one with the coat, uh, the yeah. cloak of many colors. Um, the one that everybody thinks he is when he when he burns up the guy, the good yeah. that yeah. are trying to get. Um, oh, his name is escaping. But there's, yeah. so there's this one like kind of folkloric mythological yeah, like figure the, who's famous for having a cloak and a key and, and a sword and yeah and, and like and you hear the story several times throughout. And then um, the second time, I can't remember if it was reading the first book or if it's also in the second book. I realized that, like Ari is giving him all the things that this guy's famous for having, yeah. like those specific and yeah. Key. <laughs> And like Patrick Rothfuss never like says, "Hey, notice this." Yeah. And I didn't notice until my second reading when I had mm-hmm. some of the mythology in my head already in the background. I'm like, "Oh, there's there's more yeah. <laughs> going on." Like this is this, none of this is accidental. Every word and every every beat of the story is quite deliberate, mm-hmm. and it's not just deliberate for this one book. It's deliberate for this trilogy that we're gonna get. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed <laughs> soon, because <laughs> I would love to know, uh, you know, how how this thing wraps up. But I'm I, I at the same time that I want to know. I also would very much say no one go bother Patrick Rothfuss on Twitter about when this book's going to be done. <laughs> Anytime Patrick Rothfuss says anything, the first thing someone says is okay. But when's the next book? Yeah, done? which right. is just uh, I mean, let the man create. <laughs> like I think he's earned our trust at this point. Yep, absolutely. All right. Uh, the other thing, uh, main thing I want to talk about is uh, the story, like how it's being told, and it made me think of Thomas More. <laughs> <laughs> Utopia, uh, and, and some other texts actually, and Mouse and Arsbula, where um, like there's this kind of front loading of I'm going to tell you a story, but I'm going to I don't get all the details quite right because uh, like we're told this by Kvothe at the very beginning. He says something like I'm going to tell you some lies. <laughs> Yeah. They're going to be good lies, <laughs> or, or this might not be the way that the stories get told. Yeah, but I'm telling it. And uh, in in Thomas More's Utopia, have you read it? Oh yeah, yeah. You know how it begins with the letters, like between him and uh-huh. his publisher and stuff. And he's like, "Oh, you know, I heard this, and I'm not sure I got all the details right, uh, <laughs> but but I did my best, you know, to gather this all together." Like, there's this front loading of an unreliable narrator, and then I find, like, when you're getting into this, like, you kind of forget that the narrator has warned you, yeah, <laughs> that they're unreliable. So, how much of Kavo's story are we supposed to take at face value, and how much of this is? You know, the Kavoth that we know kind of enjoys flair and mm-hmm. uh, enjoys his reputation. <laughs> it's an interesting question. I think um, one of the things that I had forgotten about is the, that very last scene with Bast and Chronicler in the night. Uh-huh. Bast comes to him and makes this incredible threat. Yeah. It's like, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, but where, where he's saying... Um, like none of this is accident, right? I was the one that sent out rumors. I brought you here uh-huh. on purpose. You thought you found us, but really, I was trying to. <laughs> I was leaving breadcrumbs for oh, quite a while, right? <laughs> Just waiting for you to come. And um, and he says, and that other guy need... who who recognizes Kavoth, I think that's supposed to be someone else is picking up some of these breadcrumbs. And oh so yeah, like, not you. No, <laughs> you're not the one. I'm looking for. one. <laughs> right. Um, and that's interesting. I had not thought of that, but I think you're right. And this idea that like. Quoth needs to tell the story, but he needs to tell the story that we need him to tell. Mm-hmm. And so there's this interesting thing going on of Quoth, the minstrel, the storyteller, the showman, uh, doing his thing. And at the same time, Bast and now Chronicler sort of gently leading him in directions that they need him to go so that he can 
get his mojo back, yeah. whatever it is that's lost, right? Like um, there's a scene where when that zombie guy comes in and uh, Kvothe obviously is trying to use sympathy and he can't. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah he, it, it doesn't work. The modern, the, the, the Kvothe in the inn is not <laughs> competent at magic at all. Right, not yeah. like how he used to be. He's, yeah. This yeah, is the this, same this kid that been, when he was a kid, Called he the wind. Was doing oh, bad, but, yeah, yeah, called the wind without knowing how at the university. And, also and, bound his own breath to the wind outside as a 10 or 12 year old. Yeah, yeah and girl. like sucked the giant wheel off of the church and killed the dragon and put out all the flames and in the town. And all he's trying town. to do in this one is light a fire. Right, and he can't. And um, and so you know something's gone on and and you, I'm like, I want that. I want that so bad. And it's, it's like, um, the impatient me and this may have been just impatient me because wise man's fear had not even been written when i read this the first time and there's like so much promise of such an awesome story and the stakes stay throughout this first one all the stakes stay low yeah there's like the the list of things he says that he's done he's like you might have heard of me and there's like the whole list he lists he does like two of them in right. this yeah he burns the town <laughs> and, and like that's almost it yeah and so it's like Where's the rest of it? And then, and so you know I would still. Coming. I think that I think that might have been also the first time that I read that that, that I read this book that I was like, that's it, <laughs> right? Like a thousand pages. This guy's supposed to be so amazing, and all I did was like get him through a year of of school of high school, <laughs> and um, and he met this girl, but like nothing happened, and then she <laughs> left, and she's always dating other guys, and like. I think now that I'm a little older, maybe I'm, I'm more willing to um, uh, appreciate a story that is a slow burn like this, mm-hmm. um, where this, I mean, I, I think, and I haven't, I haven't read second book, but if I were guessing, I would guess that if we were looking at hero's journey, this is really like one o'clock to three o'clock basically, <laughs> right? Like this is just taking him yeah. to the threshold mm-hmm. and that the next book I would assume is, uh, more, he crosses some more thresholds in the next book. <laughs> right. well, there would be. <laughs> it's 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 sort of like um, imagine you know there's a big circle for the hero's journey with a lot like every <laughs> every step is a tiny circle. Uh, right. So, there's it's there's a new set of thresholds and yeah. Because you think you think that Ben right and I make the Ben Kenobi joke, but it really is like yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get it. Like let's <laughs> tip our hat to Ben Kenobi. Um, crazy old wizard. Right. The crazy old wizard. And then there's even a section, there's a chapter in here where he says, now, if this were a regular story, then it would follow a certain pattern. But this is not a regular story because it's me sort of telling my story. Um, so it'll be kind of twisty and crazy. And it won't really follow that pattern. He's, he's like, but I, I did get a mentor. Yeah. Right? <laughs> he's like, like, I know, I know this happens like, with stories because I was in the troupe. I know all the plays. Like, literally, I have them all memorized. Right, I yeah. know what a story is supposed to look like. Mine's not going to look like it. It does. <laughs> but, but, but he's like, but this is my life. So it's not going to be. It totally does. Yeah. It, this is my life. It's not going to be tidy. Well, come on, take a look at your life. Right. <laughs> you're, you're following <laughs> the hero's journey. Right. Um, it's, but, uh, you know, it's, there's, there's patterns of it because, you know, he's in Tarbian and that's a real low point. Yeah. You know, that's a bottom of the circle. Oh, yeah. When he's in that circle state. And like, but all of that is really like getting him to the threshold. Yeah, getting him to the. There's a series of circles just to get him to the threshold. I mean, you know, so many thresholds, but the threshold of the university, and then the threshold of whatever's next, and the next threshold. Yeah, I feel like all of these. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll get get more of these like small arcs that make Mm -hmm. a big arc. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like his story. I mean, really, when this ends, I feel like okay. 
I'm ready for a story to start now. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that there hasn't been an amazing story because it really is an amazing novel. Uh, but it feels like so much preparation because we get this amazing paragraph that says, I've done all of these things. And it's like, okay, we've checked off one. We've burned down Trevon. Okay, good. <laughs> where's the rest but of it? Where's the rest of it? And it, it has to come later. And it's just such a, um, like a testament to the, to the skill of the writing that you can have a prologue that's 722 pages long. That is mesmerizing. I mean, it's so good. Well, and, and there's like such a balance of, you know, that he's going to get kicked out of the university because he says so. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's going to happen when he's young. So every time something happens at the university, he's like, is this it? Is he getting kicked out now? And the rest of the story is going to happen. It's like, no, he's still there. You know, that Ambrose he's is still there. Almost he's kill still him. there. He's still there. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, even like the stuff in uh, in Tarbian and his troop and everything, like that's not even in his preface right. where he says, you know, here's all the things I've done. You so you get like halfway through the book and he hasn't even made it to the university that you know he's going to get kicked yeah. out of, mm -hmm. and you're just waiting for all this stuff. It's like where, what's all this extra front matter? Yeah, and and like there's this, so good. there's this constant acknowledgement of like I know I know my reputation, like and and the way he treats that though, it's not. Like, like two of the moments where he says he's like, if you want to see the man that has the reputation that I have, you need to look at this moment right here. And it's a small, quiet moment. Well, right. one's a failure, one's his first success, right? So when he uh, when he's in Tarbian and he hears a I little boy getting beat up, getting and yeah, getting attacked, anything. and he's on the roof and he picks up a brick and he thinks about attacking the the older boys that are uh, you know attacking the the young boy, and then he puts the brick down and, and curls up into his corner and he's and he's like. He's like, this is one of my moments of greatest shame. And if you want to know why I burned with the fire to become Kvothe, right? you need to look at this moment. And then the, isn't it when the little girl is scared about the, mm -hmm. the Chantry and, and he comforts her mm -hmm. and he, he like uses his like kind of budding reputation to make her feel safe. Right. He's like, that's, that's one of the other moments yeah. that, that explains mean, why I became Kvothe. It really seemed, I mean, and like Todd was talking about the roller coaster you know, the defining moments are the tops and the bottoms mm -hmm. of that roller coaster. The middle stuff is kind of just middle stuff. And it seems like his reputation is entirely staked on the top and the bottom of everything. Yeah. You know, whether it's the, the greatest moment of shame or pride or, you know, when he saves someone from the fire in the, oh, I got in, in, the in the artificery. And it's like, that's a great heroic moment. That's a, that's a peak. Uh -huh. And then, you know, he burns down the town and he blames himself for that. And that's a valley. Right. But then he also does like say, I didn't kill a dragon. I'm going to let a little rumor spread about yeah. <laughs> yeah, how he, I did that. He stokes the rumor. <laughs> He's very, um, there's a lot of Ender Wigan, I think in, in Kvothe and this idea that um, like I'm at a disadvantage. And so I'm going to you use what I need my to use. Right. I'm going to press my, even if it's not fair. Right. Yeah. And, um, because like in in the story, the example for for Ender of that is the first time he faces down a bully, and he and he, and he kills him. And he, he does kill him. Really? Oh yeah, he does kill him. Yeah, he breaks his nose and yeah. No, yeah. no, no. I mean, when he's like six. Oh, like in the first chapter of the book. Oh yeah. He's yeah. fighting a bully, and he like uh, it's what disproportionate response right. to make sure that no bullies ever attack him again, and that's just that's absolutely pressing the advantage he have had in that moment, which was totally right. unfair. But the point was so that he wouldn't be. Bullied it's reputation, again. right? Like yeah, I'm yeah. going to build a reputation because I don't have a ton of money, because I don't have any family, because I'm not connected in any way. Because I'm younger so, than everyone else. I'm smaller than, than everyone every, else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, like, nobody Kvothe, likes me. 
So I might as well build a reputation as being dangerous. Yeah. And so for Quoth, like, I think a good example is, is when the, the master says, okay, you teach the lesson and he does it in a really reckless and aggressive way (laughs) that gets him into trouble and moves him up the ladder. And he's just pressing. He's like, I've got this opportunity. I am going to recklessly press this advantage in a really, really dangerous way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it, you know, that's his reputation and that's his character. There's so many um, moments in a reread of this book where, like, I'm like, oh, this is coming. <laughs> where, like, I get excited. Like, for the fire in the fishery. Like, oh, oh, right. Yeah. When he saves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he saves Fila. Fila. Or, or even, like, when it, when he was, like, getting into Turbian, I'm like, oh, do I like the Turbian part? And I was like, oh, I love the Turbian part. Mm-hmm. When uh, when he meets, um, what's the name of the man? Who's Travis. 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 Travis is such a wonderful character, and we get so little of him. And there's so many of those characters sprinkled throughout the text. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, that was a fully formed character that was there for a chapter. The guy, <laughs> the like, guys with the demons, the demon, demon mask, mask that I save him, and I, the doing... demon mask is the the like winter festival and the demon mask so is good. possibly my the... favorite thing in uh-huh. the story. Just him talking about like winter and winter festival and like it's their Christmas, it's their right. their holiday season, but it's also blended with Mardi Gras. Yeah, it's, it's, with... <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know it's their own thing, but it's like it's their winter festival and they have this whole you know like fun and games thing with the masks and there's like good masks and bad masks. So it's like, it's like there's like carnival elements in it and all these things. But then like the greatest act of mercy is coming from somebody who's wearing like the, the worst demon mm-hmm. mask. And it's like, what's going on? Like there's something here. Mm-hmm. And I just, I would love that sequence. But Trappist, um, so he, I mean, you were quick in the summer because you had to be. You had no chance. <laughs> but he, he came in like four times. Yes, he's the, he's like the beacon of light for the uh-huh. for the street urchins. If you're sick, you go to Trappist, and he is he's wearing religious robes, but he's they're, he, they're old and tattered. They're so old and tattered, he's and he's living cast out. He's living in a in a abandoned basement, mm-hmm. and he has like he's built beds basically by himself for for orchin, uh, orphan kids, and uh, and any time. Any of them seemed uh, like any good fortune that happens, like he is so happy for those kids. Mm-hmm. But my favorite moment with Trappist is um, Kvothe has gone to him so many times as a kid. And he always does, like, if you're going to get food from him, you've got to do a service that's going to help the other do, kids out. Do some work. Yeah, do some Cause, work. Because Trappist is taking care of some kids who can't be on the street. Right? Yeah. Um, but then after Kvothe gets cleaned up and after he buys all of his, mm-hmm. his um, wealthy clothes, he's like, I've got to go help. Travis will like gives him some money because he saved my life. Like, right. And he goes down and then he like freaks out. He's like, he's not going to recognize me because I'm cleaned up. I'm shaved. I've washed. Nobody has recognized. No one him. has yeah, seen like, that. No one has recognized him at all. The other like, kids people didn't even know his hair was red. Yeah. And then he walks in there and Travis is just like, hi, both. <laughs> like, that doesn't, doesn't even make eye contact so with him. Like, do, you, do you want some food? Yeah. You if to, you need you food, wash this, you have to go wash the things and, you know, to get food. Yeah. And, and just like the, the lack of acknowledgement of any change in Kvothe from Travis says so much about Travis. Doesn't yes. he. But when Quoth leaves, he recognizes that Quoth's leaving. Yes. And he says, and he says, I'm always so pleased when one of you escapes. Yeah. Yeah. And so like in the moment, he doesn't say anything about it. But then when, before Quoth leaves, he says, I know what's happening mm-hmm. and you're moving on. And that feels so good. Yeah. <laughs> Travis is. It's an emotional yeah. moment. Travis when is great. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're like when Travis just still recognizes him and Quoth like breaks inside. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, he knows me. And, and I mean, that's. Okay, like talking about themes of this book, like the true name, like he Travis. Like, who am Travis I? saw who he was, yes. uh, and did not see the exterior. And like true names is a massive theme. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the book is called the, the name, the name of, the name of, of things. Calling the true names of things yeah. is really important. And I think Travis is someone who 
in a nonchalant way, like sees the truth mm-hmm. of whatever is, is near him. Yeah. Um, Denna. <sighs> I'm not, I'm not a crazy <laughs> fan of Denna. I, <laughs> I sometimes like when I'm, if I am listening to the audiobook, I sometimes skip chapters about Denna. <laughs> really? I do not enjoy Denna. I think it's, a, and I don't know. I think maybe it's just because like Quoth is, is so attentive to her and I don't want to say obsessed, but infatuated maybe you know whatever you know she is such a focus for him and i'm like i'm not interested in her so at all and so every time he's talking about i mean not for me i don't it's not like i don't i just like every every other one of the chapters together i enjoy their tentative courtship and how like reserved kvoth always is around her and i like the descriptions of that but for an object of his obsession i don't quite see like when there's mala around (laughs) Even even like Debbie, I'm like Debbie Fima. seems yeah. I feel like these these women seem more interesting to me yeah. Than, yeah. than what we are told yeah. of Denna. Like as far as personality, because yeah. for personality of Denna, we mostly get she changes her name every time. Like she's going by a different names, so she's hiding mm-hmm. from something. She's changing her identity basically. She's always going out with different people, and she's she's um she's often with wealthy men, <laughs> right? And she's using them for their wealth for a time, and then uh-huh. she's gonna leave them. Like that's what we have of her personality. She seems. Like a survivor, right? Uh-huh. Like we know she's yeah. in a bad way, and she's doing this to survive. Uh, Not unlike, uh, unlike, yeah, like like there's definitely some mirroring here yeah. <laughs> that is going on. But I don't feel like in the first and even in the second book, she's still around in the second book. You'll be shocked to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes in face. unexpected places, probably she's, she's just there. <laughs> um, but I don't feel like I've gotten a personality of who Denna is mm-hmm. the way that I understand who Kavoth is, mm-hmm. and I think that that lack of for me of understanding of of like is it just the pretty face like or is it just the enigma is that is that why he's so interested i just don't understand why he is so fascinated by her so i was reading today um i wish i had brought it with me because i wanted to find the quote but um reading the oxford you know the very short introduction the oxford that oxford series like very short introduction to philosophy and Mm -hmm. existentialism Mm -hmm. and all these things so there's one that's the very short introduction to beauty and um, it's written by Roger Scruton. And he talks about, um, it's just sort of a philosophical sort of exploration of the idea of beauty, starting with uh, Plato and kind of moving through seeing how different people have conceptualized beauty. Um, but one of the things that he talks about is um, that beauty, something that is beautiful is, I mean, one way that some people have thought about beauty is that um, beauty is something that like demands your attention, uh, but there's really no explanation for it. And that it's also um, irreplaceable. That like a mother, um, a a mother looking at uh, her baby, it's not like you can't take that baby and then just put another baby in and be like, (laughs) it's just the same, right? (laughs) Like it's it's this, the object demands your attention, but it's not any object that demands your attention. It's that object. And very often, um, not everybody sees the same object in the same way. There's a subjective nature right. to beauty. And so um, I think I think that Rothfuss is like kind of onto something with this relationship with Denna. Because it, even because the other men they around don't him, see it. they're like... She's she's pretty. She's pretty, yeah. but she's broken a million guys' hearts. <laughs> and there's like plenty of other options. Nobody else has the obsession with Denna that Kvoth has with her. Right. And so I think it's not surprising that we as readers are like, 
I don't really see it, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah, like, um, I think in one of the interludes, Quote says, like, well, Bast, you saw her. How would you describe her? She's pretty. Her, yeah, I, I, like, I guess she was pretty. She had nice ears. And Quote's like, her ears? <laughs> like, this is, like, the woman in right. my life. And you're just saying her ears? I'm like, Sorry. Like, this is the awesome I don't really get it. That's kind of how beauty is, right? Like, I mean, yeah. and I think that's how love is. Mm-hmm. And that's why it works. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, particularly, we, we also, I, I think sometimes because of we get fed so much about the reputation of Kavoth and like the myth that we know this is, a, a, you know, the giant of a man in this world. It, like he's in puppy love at age yeah. 15. Right. <laughs> and once you think of it that way, it's like, oh, okay. I kind of understand a little bit more this obsession with the one, you know, the, the one woman. Uh, I feel like there is, there has to be something about her, right? Mm-hmm. That there has to be something more than this, than that she's like another poor girl and, she is struggling to survive. Like there's more, there's something supernatural going on with her that I think there has to be. And I, like I said, I have not read the second novel. So maybe, maybe it turns out that this is just like Ray and, uh, and they'll say, sorry, there's nothing special about her, but I feel like there's something special about her. And if there's not, I will be furious when I read the second book. But I feel like there's something... I would say, don't go into the second book with those expectations, Tom. Maybe hold those for the third book. I know, but I mean, okay, so maybe the third book. But I feel like there's something... I feel like there's something intriguing about her. Mm-hmm. There's enough promise that there's something... that there's something special about her. And I'm... Uh, I kind of like the fact that not everybody else is so smitten by her as he is. Um, I think it's more true to life that I think that's kind of how it is, right? Like everybody finds somebody and they go, you know what? I love you. And you're the most beautiful thing that I can think of. And I want to spend eternity with you. Why? Because, because I do. And other people would look at, you know, uh, that person and say, sure. Yeah. Like, just you, you know, <laughs> but uh, that's great that you found her. And I feel like so often in, <laughs> so often in literature, the, the one, the one woman it, she has to like shine above all others. She'd and be the one for so, any man. She would yeah. be the one for any man. And, and kill Kenny, right? And kill Kenny yeah. when he meets that girl. And uh, what's her name? Nina. Uh, and and Nina is like, my goodness, you would have to be an absolute crazy person not to be in love with Nina because she shines so much brighter than any other woman in that novel. Um, and here it's like you have Mola and you have Fila and you have Ari and you have Devi and you have all these great women. And for some reason, Quoth is like, yeah, they're cool. But, but this one. This one is and the one everyone else around I like, like it. Yeah. It, so admittedly, we do also have to say, a lot of men are throwing themselves at Denny. <laughs> or at Denna. They or, do, but, yeah. they, but they don't stick. Yeah. yeah. And they don't stick in the way that he does. And I love the way that he says, his friends are telling him, Sam and Will, mm-hmm. and they're telling him, you have to just go for it, right? Like with what all good friends would say, just go and confess your love. And he's like, no, that's what every single guy does to her. And she hates it. Mm-hmm. She does it so she can survive. But I I can't, I can't do that. And so I'm just gonna like bide my time and I'll be her friend and I'll wait. And I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. I'm not like burned out on Denna yet. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, I've heard uh, some people after reading the second novel are like, they're done with Denna, but I'm not done with Denna after the first novel. Well, and also like, I, I'm a bit burned out after the second book with her. <laughs> it's not like I hate her, but I also trust Patrick Rothfuss enough to say like, like you're saying, like there's 
like, I still want more. Like, I still need to understand more about why Kaboth and Denna. Like, what is... I just cannot imagine that? the Snoke scene and her him saying nothing. She's just a girl. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe she is. Maybe that's what's special about her. Talk. Maybe. If, <laughs> if anybody can convince me that it's, it's uh, Pastor Jarothos. All right, anything else uh, about Kvothe as a character or this story that you guys want to make sure we touch on? I think I'm good. I feel like it just needs to be said, he has fiery red hair. just has to be noted yeah. on this podcast. Because <laughs> uh, it's funny, I did not mention that one time. Why the bit in the book? <laughs> he does have fiery red hair. And again, like I've, I've read this more than once, and each time I go back into it, like I, when I re- remember what's coming next, like I get excited for those moments mm-hmm. and it, yeah. not every book does that for me. Yeah. You <laughs> develop like these favorite moments is like, I want to relive this. Mm-hmm. Like the first time I read it. Oh, so and- reading it the first time is like amazing and special. And then the next time you're like, Oh yeah, this is going to happen. And I love this part. And, and maybe you love the parts where it's with Denna. Maybe you love the parts where he's at school. Maybe you love the parts where, you know, he's, he's stressing about the library, you know, uh-huh. whatever it is, you know, you're going to get to revisit those moments and be like, this is so interesting. And you'll get more out of it the, the second time. Yes, absolutely. This book 100% re- rewards rereadings. And after the second book, you want to go back and reread the first because mm. like things, oh, right. That thing from the first mm-hmm. book. Now I understand something different about it. And I've learned, you know, more about the overall. If you're only going to write like one novel every yeah. seven years, you better write one that your fans are going to want to read. And, and I think Patrick Rothfuss does it subtly enough that it's really about the rereadings. He's not trying to make sure you pick up on these things. He's not heavily foreshadowing anything. Mm-hmm. It's not like, hey, you're going to need this in 400 pages. But if you reread it, you're like, hey, wait a second, that comes up in 400 pages. <laughs> and you're not even sure if it matters that it comes up again, but it's there. Yeah. So if you're if you're doing the work, you're going to get the nuggets. So if you read the um, like critics' reviews of this book, it is, it is given high praise. <laughs> and it's often mentioned as like, this is the great fantasy novel of our time, maybe of all time. Um, so I want to know, like, is that where you put it? Is this is this top of the list? Or, like, where would you, could you rank, like, a fantasy novel? So as we'll as far say, as, like, enjoyment goes, it's it's definitely, like, high up there. Mm-hmm. I know that. Okay, let's, let's just go ahead and say, what are, our, what are the top yeah, fantasy like, novels? What are we Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, certainly. Yeah. Does Harry Potter... I mean, it's not the, high fantasy, but it's fantasy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we are dealing with high fantasy as opposed to, you know, just fantasy. Yeah, the separate world kind of um, high fantasy. I mean, I would... I mean, I, I think of the Redwall books, but they're not like magical fantasy, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, sure. medieval fantasy. So I'll allow it. I mean, I would put, I would put you know... And Dune? I, I, I don't know. I would put what, Dune up there. I don't know what the best... Dune's of kind of writing a line is. between sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah. I feel like it... Is it, is it like... Is I would it, consider it fantasy, though. In the same way that Star Wars is just space yes. fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else, you know, really fits into, like, the top two Sanderson. categories. Sanderson, yeah. Way of yeah. Kings and, and uh, the Miss Wheel Born. of Time. But, but, I mean, oh, Wheel of Time, mind. certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Which I have not read, so I can't rank that one. In the- yeah. I, so, I mean, if we're talking about... The series that are going to be mentioned. Yeah. Lord of the Rings, Hobbit. Uh, we'll say Harry Potter... Um, Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would put in Dune and, and Sanderson's world and yeah. Sanderson's stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and this. I mean, uh, Wizard of Earthsea and oh yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I, I, for me, 
definitely it it's up there for enjoyment uh-huh. um like my ability to return to it uh-huh. it's gonna be a high recommendation because i think it's enjoyable for a uh-huh. lot of it people. is my go-to recommendation when people say hey i need a book to read i say have you yeah. read name Blue? you know yeah. i recommended this to my sister who is not a fantasy reader mm-hmm. and i was like I don't know how this is going to go. And cause she's just, just recently um, just started reading a lot. Like, I mean, she's always read, but, mm-hmm. but you know, there are periods in your life where you just start reading a lot more and she's in a period where she's reading a lot. And so she's asking me for recommendations. And I said, you could try this book name of the wind just to see. And she loved it. Uh, so and yeah. she's not like a big fantasy yeah. reader. She, I don't know. If my wife Emily isn't a huge genre mm-hmm. reader, um, like for sci-fi or fantasy, but she, she really liked Name of yeah. the Wind too. Yeah. I, you know, so in those kinds of categories, you know, it, I mean, so it, this it's is, definitely really high. I need to see the but story then, end. How, to, how yeah. is he going to stick the landing? Mm-hmm. Which I trust he will, but I want <laughs> to see it happen. And then I think it's a different conversation in, you know, 30 years when yeah. the whole story has been digested for, Mm-hmm. for 30 years and everyone said you know okay let's talk about thieves let's talk about you know mm-hmm. what's going on here let's do some critical analysis and write some papers mm-hmm. and i think that's totally different because if you take lord of the rings without any without any of tolkien's excess materials and without any deep analysis and without any adaptations and compared to this you know what do you think and you can't take it out of that context you know, you can't take lord of the rings away from all of that context around. Yeah. And this hasn't finished its context. Yeah. I mean, Lord of the Rings is always so high on the list because it's so, Oh, we forgot to mention the Chronicles of Narnia, by the way. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Well, I was also just thinking like, what do we do with like Wizard of Oz or Alice in Wonderland? Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are great books that we consider classics and there are lots of other fantasy books that I've read that are like, it's good fantasy, but it's not this. Yeah, to me, I, this is going to be mentioned like in the classic is, fantasy forever. Like, I agree. Is, I think there. I think. There I think is, it certainly belongs in that echelon of yeah. fantasy novels. Like, like I was talking about with, like the the Winter Festival and mm-hmm. like what's going on with the demons. Like, there's something a little bit deeper in this book that you can't like. There just isn't that same depth to dig into mm-hmm. in other general I mean, fantasy stuff and i don't i don't know exactly what that means uh-huh. but i feel like it's it's got something to it and i i want it to get that kind of analysis yeah. and assessment because i think it i think there's going to be a reward for digging in like that i agree but well, i but i don't know exactly what it'll be i mean you had to skip over them because of time for doing the summary where we're focusing on the both but like there's so many side like stories about Telu and mm-hmm. you know, like the just mythologies. the mythologies of this world where like every time I come to one of those, I'm like, I need to think about that one more. Yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. what is, what is Roth is saying and doing mm-hmm. in presenting this at this moment, you know, in Kavos story yeah. that, that we're being given this. So I, I think it's 100% it's in the conversation there <laughs> with yeah. those texts, even as it is now two thirds of a trilogy with a couple side short yeah, stories. It's, it's amazing that it's, I mean, I think it's in the canon. I would say it's in the oh, yeah. fantasy canon, certainly. Yes. Yeah. I think that that discussion's done. <laughs> yeah. It's it's always going to be in that discussion. Like, what are the greatest fantasy books you've ever read? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, this and will, some, somebody's going to say it. Yeah. 
And like yeah. I said, it, since you recommended it to me, it has been my go-to whenever anyone on Facebook is like, I need a book to read. I'm like, I just have you read Name of the Woods? <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. I, you may have had this recommended to you already, but I want to get that one out there in case it was missed. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, this has been a great conversation. Well, listeners, we hope you enjoyed the conversation. I certainly enjoyed digging into this book uh, some more. And that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 107, when we talked about Fellowship of the Ring, and, or episodes number 71 and 73, when we talked about Night Circus. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss, or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski, and our producer, Andrew, is at Diz Minute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners. We would love for you to say hello anytime. If you would like to support the show financially, you can find a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. The object like demands your attention. <laughs> so the object demands your attention. Hold on. You may need that. No, that. It's, it's all right. Okay. <laughs>